also as an entrepreneur, it's the most fun tech to work on right now. It is changing daily. You have the brightest minds in engineering, like in the world right now, working on these problems. And it's so fun to just see what everybody's working on, not just like civil, this like the stuff that everyone's doing right now is so awesome. Welcome to a bit cryptic podcast where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Hi everyone, this is Dung, Chief Editor of A Bit Cryptic. Our show provides in-depth coverage of the innovations in the world of blockchain technology and the people on the front lines, inspiring us to see how this technology will shape our lives. If you like our show, please hit subscribe, give a rating. It will help spread our content. If you have feedback on our show, please send them our way to our team's inbox. It's team at a bitcryptic.com. Again, it's team at a bitcryptic.com. My co-host today is Coco Leo. Coco is a visual and experience designer from Silicon Valley who worked with various blockchain and tech startups. In short, she loves beautiful designs. Hi, Coco. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Just fine. Thank you. Now, for today's program, we're delving into journalism, the craft of presenting news and current events. Now, journalism serves a critical function of a free society, but the traditional news business has been dying for years. According to the Columbia Journalism Review, in hundreds of communities across America, there's no longer any news coverage, and all local reporting have pretty much wound down. This is a microcosm of the challenges facing the news business trying to sustain itself with the advent of technology and digital news consumption. Platforms like Google, Facebook, and Twitter curates our news, conveniently feeds us sound bites while extracting advertising revenue from our user information. Our guest today is Dan Kinsley, the engineering lead of Silvo, a New York-based startup that is building a decentralized network or a marketplace for newsrooms to launch. Built on the Ethereum blockchain, it seeks to be an ecosystem of journalists, developers, readers, and publishers. Hi, Dan. It's an honor to have you. Hi. Great to be here. Dan, hope you got a good rest after completing the Silvo initial coin offering this week. It's a journey. I know it's been, uh, have a lot of ups and downs. And we want to get your take on that big event you had uh, later on this segment. But to lay out the landscape and paint the picture for us, journalism isn't what it used to be, is it? It's been declining rapidly, as we mentioned, with the mobile digital technology and the proliferation of third-party platforms like Facebook, where billions of people are mingling and sharing information. Do you think this trend is getting better or worse? Yeah, I think it's getting worse. I mean, we're seeing kind of two major issues with with the journalism business model i'd say that's like ownership and distribution like journalists have just kind of lost control uh the vast majority of newspapers are now owned by hedge funds and private equity firms and they just don't have incentive to invest in quality journalism because it's at the expense of you know returning profits to the shareholders and i think this mentality has just led to the wave of endless layoffs and closings of, of newspapers around the U.S. and worldwide, really. I read a stat that, you know, more than 200,000 journalists have, been, have left the industry since, you know, 2000. And I think you touched on this before, too. On the distribution side, there's two companies, you know, Google and Facebook, that have, have cornered the, like, digital advertising market. They, they control more than 80% of digital ad spend. 
And so they own, you know, the distribution platform. And so they have just incredible amount of control and influence over, you know, the journalists. So it, they could like tweak a little, you know, at the algorithm that could, you know, drastically impact their business and their readers and their viewership. And so they're just sort of at their mercy. They're not focused on serving ethical journalism either, you know, because that could come at the expense of, of, you know, their revenue. So what we're trying to do is, you know, put control back into, you know, the hands of, of the content producers, the journalists, the publications, as well as, you know, the readers and the people that are paying for this content. Hmm. Then tell us about civil. Help unpack this for us. What does it mean to offer a solution to this? And what does it mean to build a decentralized marketplace for newsrooms? Yeah. So, I mean, really, we're trying to build just like a new economy that is incentivizes ethical journalism, where journalists and people who care about journalism are, are setting the rules. And so we're doing this uh, through a mechanism called a token curated registry. Effectively, uh, this is a whitelist of publications that agree to you know, follow the rules of what we've defined as ethical journalism. I mean, this isn't really like we didn't invent the rules of ethical journalism it's sort of been understood in the industry for a while, but we've sort of codified it and written it into this document called the Civil Constitution. So we have this whitelist of publications that agree to abide by these rules and they're held accountable to these rules. And if they do not follow those rules, anyone within this economy has the right and the responsibility to challenge their existence on the, on the registry. So effectively, the control of this platform is in the hands of, of the token holders. Now, how is this different than national public radio or you know, this subscription-based model like New York Times or the Financial Times? I mean, there are some creative ones that have come on the scene as well, like Patreon, where content creators or even journalists, they can create tier access for their audience. What is it about those economic models that's not working? How is civil different? So I think like one is just like a means of payment for the publication, whereas civil is more trying to form a network of publications. So we don't really want to get in the way of how a newsroom monetizes, whether this is through monthly subscriptions, paywalls, or, or whatever. We're trying to build a way for journalists to own their content as well as distribute it and syndicate it and have control over the sort of the like more control over the business model and how it's distributed. What about civil from an engineering perspective do you find most exciting since specifically you're leading the engineering team? Yeah, I think we're at this really, really interesting intersection of blockchain and user experience. So, you know, Coco, as a designer, I'm sure you'd be interested in this is we're sort of discovering what the new like design patterns are for blockchain interactions. So it's just so fascinating to be able to design for, you know, normal people that care about journalism and then explain, you know, why blockchain matters and then how do they sort of use these tools to achieve you know their goals of of supporting you know the journalists that they're the publications that they care about and curating this network of of ethical newsrooms so it's just super super interesting to see how this tech is evolving and how you know the user experience is you know 
being like easier to grok, I guess. I think each month that passes, the tools get better and we're, we're learning how to explain, you know, this technology to just normal people. Mm-hmm. So one of the problems that Silvo is trying to solve is that people go to third parties like Facebook, Twitter to consume news content. So from a user experience standpoint, like you were mentioning, how specifically do you think what is Silvo planning to convince these readers or the ones that you mentioned from the white paper that I was looking at, the ones that are above the waterline um, to actually use Silvo's um, newsroom? Yeah, so I think it's really educating people about the issues with journalism right now. I think a vast, I don't remember the exact stats, but like a vast majority of people didn't understand that most publications are not profitable and are struggling. And the part of this reason is because most of the value is being extracted and going to the Googles and the Facebooks and the hedge funds and not the actual people producing the content. So I think what civil can help facilitate is awareness that there's an issue and then providing, allowing people to vote with their dollars and say, I'm opting out of the status quo and I choose to support these publications that are, that I know are being ethically produced that are, you know, citing their sources. I know where, like, you know, sort of, I guess it's sort of like the organic food movement, right? We're making like organic journalism. And I think mm-hmm. we're helping to, you know, support that and give people a way to opt into this new model. Definitely. Civil has two arms, right? There's the civil media unit, which is the for-profit umbrella. And that's focused on the partnerships and the traditional financing and building commercial apps. And there's civil foundation, which focuses on the community governance and grant making to journalism efforts. Can you explain how the two units there interact? What's the relationship between the two? Yeah. So I think underlying this all is the civil protocol. So this is the civil registry, uh, you know, the token curated registry. A civil media company is developing that and we're, you know, we're launching the protocol and then we're sort of releasing it to the community. Mm. We're then tasking the civil foundation to maintain control and and control isn't the right word, but be a steward of the civil uh, constitution and its values and our sort of definition of ethical journalism. And so they are responsible for ensuring that the protocol evolves in a a way that, you know, upholds that constitution. Mm -hmm. As like civil media, for example, like this is purely hypothetical, but like like if, since we're for profit, we might decide that we wanted to build, you know, let me think of a, a good example, I guess. So when we have the, the civil registry and we have token holders that are participating in the governance of the platform, one of the, you know, arguments of the token model is that, you know, you could buy up all of the tokens and then, you know, exert your will on the platform just by, you know, having more access to capital. So we have the civil foundation and within that, the civil council that serves as a body of which the token holders can appeal to if they feel that they are unjustly removed from the registry or, or if they're like their vote, they can appeal to the registry to overturn the vote. So if someone, you know, buys up all the tokens to get this newsroom on the registry, 
They've sort of spent this capital to get this outcome. They could then be appealed, and then this council could overturn their decision, and then they didn't get the outcome that they wanted. So it serves as a hedge against the oligarchy, I guess, as well as by being a nonprofit and separating it from the civil media company. It makes sure that like this is a decentralized platform, not just you know what civil media decides to build. So it, the the goal is to get other companies building on top of the protocol. I see. Okay, so I'm trying to understand the economic model, trying to understand the mechanism to ensure there's checks and balances that the powers are decentralized and there's a fair and democratic decision process. Maybe it would be helpful to like walk through a scenario、um, sure. of like how someone would get on the registry. Yes, how someone would get on the registry, and that someone would be a newsroom or a、okay. yeah, yes. So let's say that you know you would like to start a newsroom and you'd like to be on civil, so you know people could see your newsroom and support you and you know get access to you know the people that care about ethical journalism. So you decide you want to be on the registry. So you need to buy about one thousand dollars worth of civil tokens and you fill out an application to be on the registry. And you agree to follow the rules of the civil registry, and you stake your one thousand dollars worth of civil tokens to the registry. And so, all of the token holders then have to, you know, play this economic game. Will having this newsroom on the registry, you know, increase the credibility of civil of the civil network of the civil registry because they're going to produce good quality ethical content. You know they're going to be good stewards of the platform, or are they going to undermine the credibility of the list because they're going to spread misinformation and just and allow、uh, allow readers they would like mistrust the civil list because you know this newsroom's no good, civil's no good. Why should I trust all of the other newsrooms on this list? So if they decide that they shouldn't be on the registry, any of the token holders. Could then match the deposit. So the th- if it's a thousand dollars of civil to apply, they could stake a thousand dollars to challenge that listing. It then becomes a a voting period where all the token holders need to play that same game: should they be on the registry or should they not be on the registry? And they vote. And at the end of this period, there'll be a winner and there'll be a loser. And so, if the challenger wins, the newsroom will not be admitted to the registry, and they'll lose their Their deposit, fifty percent of that will go to the challenger for, you know, staking,、uh, for putting skin in the game, for risking their thousand civil tokens to challenge them, or their thousand dollars worth of civil tokens to challenge them, and then the other fifty percent will be distributed amongst the voters that voted correctly for participating and for curating the list. And so then, you know, if the applicant wins, the other side is true. The challenger will lose their their stake, and then at that point. It enters an appeal period. If they, if anyone feels that you know this was not the correct outcome, if then appeal to the civil council, which way they would then you know vote to overturn the popular vote, and this serves as a sort of check and balance against the popular vote. We expect this to be very uncommon for the appeals to happen, and if that does happen, there'll be. Almost like how the Supreme Court like issues a ruling, it'll be very well documented on on you know why they overturn their、uh-huh. decisions. 
Well, I think that's a fascinating uh, view of how you get this microeconomy to sustain itself in a decentralized, transparent, and uh, democratic manner. For newsrooms and for readers who want to consume news on this platform, on a day-to-day basis, you know, what essentially what they really care about is, you know, how to make it sustainable for newsrooms, you know, how do they receive the uh, the economic benefits of being on on civil and you know how how do they make their operations sustainable and to continue doing what they do best is to provide um, high quality news coverage so a question that that often came up on the zigzag podcast is which is uh, one of one of the uh, newsroom that's launched on the civil platform is uh, readers listeners want to know if they're interested in donating funds, would they contribute directly to the newsroom or they donate in fiat and normal funds and normal money or do they donate in civil tokens? And where would that funding stream, where would those donations go? Do you understand my question there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think like um, a publication needs to build and connect with their readers directly. And then I foresee that, you know, accepting payment in fiat is like not going to go away anytime soon, just because that's what people are used to. And, you know, blockchain technology is not 100% mainstream right now. And people don't have want to jump through hoops to like support, you know, publications. It's hard enough, right? So we think that this will become more pervasive in the near future. But I think fiat and monthly subscriptions and sort of our traditional business models will probably continue to exist. I think further down the road, we can get into some new ways to explore what membership means when you get into like blockchain and crypto economics. Like, for example, you could explore something what's called like bonded, uh, bonding curve. So you could take like a civil token and bond it and out the other end comes, say, a zigzag token. And maybe this zigzag token gives you access to commenting or, or some sort of owning a certain amount of zigzag tokens gets you certain like access to, to Manoush and, and all that. Like, so I think there's some new things that we could explore once, once we could sort of lower the barrier to entry of crypto and, and blockchain technology. What are your, Thoughts on since we're talking about uh, mainstream adoption and things like that, in terms of like the platform become more self-sustaining or blockchain becoming a little more uh, mainstream. What are your thoughts on like the timeline regarding that? And if the appeal process and all of that are already being tested or already running on the platform, or are you anticipating that to be um, happening in the near future or when? So. I think if you looked at the state of blockchain, like even, I don't know, 10, like a year ago, completely different landscape. The usability has increased drastically. I mean, I looked at tools like MetaMask and just like fiat on ramps are much, much easier and simpler and easier to grok. Uh, services like Coinbase and like even Wire is making this a lot easier. So I think we're, we've made huge strides in that area. But I think we still have a long way to go. And we've seen this firsthand with our token launch and getting people onboarded to this. It's still very difficult. Explaining 
you know, a private key and how it must be kept safe. And there's just a lot of words <laughs> to explain to people that have never heard a lot of this stuff before. So I think we still have not a long ways to go, but I, I think, you know, I think if we have this conversation one year from now, I'll be singing a completely different tune because I think, I think we'll be in a much better place then. I think we're early in this technology, but I don't think we're too early, if that makes sense. Makes sense. What about the staking the token aspect of things and the community of the network? Yeah. Um, so, so I think like participating in the governance, I think like explaining the governance to people that care about ethical journalism is pretty easy to grok. I think explaining token bonded curves is, is not. And I think everything we do at Civil, we need to do extensive user testing and we need to put our user first and build things that are solving real user goals, not because this is like the classic, like engineering, like the engineer in me is like, this stuff's so cool. Let's, uh, you know, let's build this. Go ahead and build it without really. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think everything we do, we need to put in front of users and ask, you know, why we're solving this problem. And, and are we solving the right problem for the right, you know, for the right people? Glad to hear that from a designer's perspective. (laughs) So I know that there is that protocol side of like the engineering aspect and also the product platform side, or at least that's what the kind of pattern that like I've seen or involved with. So like, how do you kind of juggle between these two aspects of like engineering for a blockchain company? So like, how do you juggle like protocol and like user experience? Is that? Yeah, the protocol building as well. And then the other side, more the the consumer facing product versus the developer facing um, protocols. So yeah, I guess we at Civil, we built the sort of or designed the protocol first. And then we sort of, then we built the sort of user experience on top of that, which I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. But we have two teams that are sort of, they have to be very tightly connected on, on protocol and user experience. Just, and we've faced some like really interesting, like user experience problems. So like with the token curated registry that we used, one of the first ones that, uh, existed was, um, from ad chain and they have this mechanism of voting called PLCR and it's this sort of two phased commit reveal. And so users have to like see, lock in their vote and then come back at the like next phase of voting and reveal their vote. And this is a very, very difficult like user experience challenge to sort of explain to users like why they need to do it this way. So we spent a lot of time exploring this problem and we had a lot of different sort of iterations on this. And I think we, we, you sort of have to go through this balance. I think like, you go through this balance of like, it's a trade-off between like, you could centralize everything uh, and store things on a central server and have the user experience be super seamless, or you could sort of decentralize everything. And, you know, then you have more user experience challenges. And so our philosophy is like, how do we strike that balance between the two? And so I think we found a decent sort of middle ground. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that there's that fine balance since it is in a, in many ways easier for the user if things are centralized because they don't have to deal with a lot of things like private keys and things like that. But 
since the goal is um, transparency and decentralization and that that they still need to have a decent experience, but yet the security aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I think like ultimately, like I think part of this, the like promise of sort of building these decentralized systems is you're allowing the user to like delegate their trust. They have like more control over their trust and who they trust versus like in the centralized system, you just sort of need to like implicitly trust the party. And so I think some like we'll try to, we'll probably build things in the future that allow that might be a little bit more centralized, but we'll always have that option for the user to say, well, you don't want to trust us. Fine. You could do this instead. And so I think that's, you know, I think we'll see a lot of that as this technology evolves. As a designer, mm, yes. who is your most important user in on this platform? And like when you trying to imagine your, the design, your users that you're serving, you know, how does that or guide um, your design process and how, how do you make it a, the best experience uh, for them? Yeah, I think it really depends on the product that we're talking about. So I think our, we have, Hannah Newsmaker is our, is our persona for our, our journalist that we used for our, our publishing tools. And I think Sam the Citizen was our, uh, our persona for building our, our governance application. And you need to, you know, take their, their needs. Uh, they're very different people. They have very different needs and you need to, you know, go about building products for them quite mm-hmm. differently. On that, your team has wrapped up a big event this week. It was the initial coin offering. It seemed like an extensive, very long, perhaps uh, brutal by some perspectives. What you're doing here is getting commitments from people who want to purchase civil tokens to interact and use on this platform, this this economy. But you didn't quite meet your crowdfunding goal, US set. Now tell us what happened there. Was it due to the down markets? It, crypto bear market when prices are down? Uh, is it because folks had too many hoops to jump through? So the reason why I, I say that, perhaps I'm being presumptuous and you can challenge me, is for non-cryptocurrency people who are not used to uh, dealing with cryptocurrency, uh, there's this entire process of participating in an initial coin offering. You have to upload your passport, your ID, and you have to buy some Ether, and you have to deposit in MetaMask, and you know, you, you ultimately make that purchase several tokens, but you don't really receive it automatically, but somehow they'll magically appear in your MetaMask digital wallet. For some, for people like us, it may be uh, manageable because it's just, we accept that as part of the process. But for someone who's not used to it, it must be quite cumbersome. Wouldn't you think, you know, what are the lessons learned from the initial coin offering? Can you help yeah. explain that? Yeah. So I think there is like, kind of a perfect storm of a number of things happening. I think in hindsight, like just our our model for the token launch just probably wasn't the best. So we were okay, so our token is quite unique. We're we're using what's called a consumer token, where consumer token uh, as defined by the Brooklyn project, which is part of consensus. And there has a number of different restrictions that we put in place to ward off speculation and in ensuring that only you know value aligned participants you know acquire our token and so these restrictions are as you mentioned you know a KYC process to make sure that 
you know, terrorists aren't, you know, washing their money through our platform. And we have like in-network transferability, meaning like you, you really can't list it on an, a centralized exchange. You can only transfer tokens, you know, between other people that have KYC'd and taken a tutorial and explained that, you know, you're using the token for its intended purposes. We put a lot of hoops to jump through to participate in this token sale. And we got almost 3,000 people through this process. Like, that's a lot of people. But we needed to, uh, to raise, our, our goal was to raise, you know, $8 million from the token sale. The problem was that I think we took this like playbook of a, of a token sale that worked really well for many other token sales. It tried to apply it to a consumer token framework in a very, in like the pretty much worst time to do a token launch in terms of like, the state of ETH and cryptocurrency at the moment. And, and we failed at that. I think we made things pretty difficult for, a, for the average user. We made them jump through a lot of different brands that they're not familiar mm-hmm. with. We used a third-party uh, token sale platform. They needed to acquire Ethereum through mm-hmm. Coinbase or whatever. They needed to install MetaMask. And... We didn't do the best job. We didn't do a good enough job of laying out and guiding our users through this process. So yeah, our token sale failed. We're stepping back. We have a new path forward that I think is all on one site and going to be much, much simpler. You're still going to need to KYC. You're still going to need to do the tutorial. But I think what happened before is you know, we sort of put up all of these walls before you could start to participate. And then now we're sort of allowing you to participate, then putting up the walls and and giving you a better ladder up, Mm -hmm. I guess. So we're, you know, civil's not going away. And, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to try again very, very soon. And we're pretty excited about, you know, what, you know, what our new approach is. You had set out a very uh, ambitious mission and it culminated in, in this event, which you didn't quite meet your your goals, but it seems like the team is taking a step back and being thoughtful and drawing lessons learned and charting a path forward, which I, I think is rather different from other projects who have faced setbacks from the early stages. And you can see the telltale signs of projects that kind of show signs of a weakness in, in various aspects. But it seems like you've, you've put a lot of thought into this um, since the beginning. Um, and that's probably likely understating uh, all the collective efforts you've gone through. Um, but as a as an entrepreneur, what successes or failures have, have you learned being through this this whole journey? Yeah. So I think one of the as an entrepreneur, like I've I've been doing startups for a while and it's like they always say if you're proud of the product you launched, then you've launched too late. But it's really interesting with like with blockchain products is that you sort of need to do this gigantic big bang launch. Um, you can't sort of have an MVP. You need this sort of fully baked platform. So that's been sort of interesting in a challenge. Well, not a challenge, but like just a different thought process for me. And, and I think that's been really interesting to explore in terms of like, I've learned a lot about being user focused. I've never like, these are the hardest, I think the hardest user experience problems in 
in the industry right now. And I think explaining these concepts, like I've just learned so much from the designers on my team that's made me a better engineer. And so I'm so happy to have them to help, you know, me through this process. And it's also as an entrepreneur, it's the most fun tech to work on right now. It is changing daily. You have the brightest minds in engineering, like in the world right now, working on these problems. And it's so fun to just see what everybody's working on, not just like civil, this like the state, like the stuff that everyone's doing right now is so awesome. So it's just, I really love being in this space. Why right do now. you personally care about mm-hmm. journalism? So it's interesting too, because I don't really have a background in journalism, but I've always been sort of curious about it. And I think it's just sort of come to a headwind. And And I didn't really realize that part of the the problem with politics and everything right now is because there's not a good business model for journal for ethical journalism right now. And we're just sort of seeing these sort of echo chambers of, you know, discourse forming around Facebook and Google. And I think quality journalism holds these politicians and institutions accountable. And I feel like responsible now for making sure that, you know, these people have a voice and and these powers are held in check. So I think just learning about this has, has really, really gotten me just fired up about, you know, everything that's wrong with this space right now for sharing that what are your uh, what do you think in terms because that i can't help but think of states and countries where there's a lot of state-sponsored censorship like such as china like what are your thoughts on how this kind of platform could transform or the experiences of people in those kind of countries where the where there's a lot of censorship and misinformation and just no freedom of speech Yeah. So that's one of the things that we're trying to solve with civil is, you know, you could publish your content, even, you know, pseudo anonymously, and you can have this sort of reputation without being tied to a physical person. You could broadcast to civil. And then we have this thing called like the civil fire hose. And so this allows anyone to listen to all the stuff that's happening on the civil network and then you know, do things with it. So maybe it's, you know, syndicate an article if, if you're an aggregator of the best science articles, or maybe you're an aggregator of content in Egypt and you could take these articles and then put it on Tor or some sort of, you know, censorship resistant file system. And then that the value that like uh, people could pay for it using, you know, a digital currency, a cryptocurrency, and you can track that value all throughout the chain. And so you can have a photographer take a photo that gets picked up in, in an article and then syndicated in another article and have that value throw all, uh, flow all the way back in even in, you know, s- censorship resistant areas. So I think it could work sort of two ways where you get information out of say China, like you have individual, you know, journalists publishing and they can get out to the rest of the world, or you can have information sort of coming in both ways. And I think that's some of the things that civil can help facilitate. Mm, That can bring a lot of value to these countries where they'll gain a lot of access to information. So will there be a kind of like a UI that 
um, guides people into like, oh, this is where you can find or trace information to its source and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. The way we sort of think about it is it's all a big a graph, right? Like you, you have like a source of a photo or an article, and then you could sort of walk this whole graph and then see if say, okay, so if you have say, I'm getting a little bit further out of where we want to be, but say you had like primary sources of like someone issues a quote that they sort of sign off on or a data set maybe. Okay. So you have a data set and an article sort of site like census data perhaps. And then an investigative journalist site like cites that data set and then, you know, make some graph and then that graph is then syndicated in another article. Like, so you have the original reporting and then it's cited again in another article that cites that. And then it turns out that there is, say, an error in the source data set. You could then sort of walk the graph and discover all of the things affected by this error in the data set. I think they have like similar things that happen with like food, like with like sushi, right? Like, or, uh, if they find like a corrupted like oyster or something, you could like trace it back to the farm that it came from and go to all the restaurants that may have that oyster. We could do the same thing with, you know, with data and yeah, similar and to the content chain, the supply chain. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Sure. A lot of the themes that we touch on will be a part of a much broader uh, discussion. This, the challenges of facing journalism today are not going away and civil is set a very ambitious path to to change that. So best of luck to to the team. I just wanted to get Dan if people are interested in finding more about Civil and decide on their own whether they want to participate in this experiment or not, how would they do that? Yeah, so you can find us at civil.co. We're going to have more information in the next week or so about what our plan is going forward. And we have already newsrooms that are live and publishing. So you should definitely check them out. And yeah, you'll see more to come in the next Thank couple you. weeks. So that's Dan Kinsley, the tech lead of Civil. Thank you very much, Dan, for speaking with us. It's a very uh, fascinating discussion and best of luck to the team. Thank you for listening to a Bit Cryptic podcast. A Bit Cryptic podcast is hosted by Alain Leon, Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor-in-chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep it cryptic.